Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Of God and believed God for incredible things. It talks about uh, Abraham who left his father's land into a land that God would show him. It talks about Daniel who was thrown into a lion's den believing that God would save him. It talks about um, it, it talks about Noah, who believed God that, that he would um, save the whole human race just from faith, and it hadn't even rained yet. Like, God told him about a flood when he didn't even know what rain was. And so, it says at the beginning of chapter 12 that we have this great cloud of witnesses that surround us. And, and what they grabbed a hold of, what they figured out, is God is faithful to his promise. That when he has spoken into our lives, when he's given us a promise, he is faithful to bring it out. That when he's given us the word of God and it tells us, like we're going to look at some promises, but when it tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 31 that it does not matter who's against me. If God is for me, then I win, right? And so because God has given us these promises found in the word of God, we can place our hope on something that does not Shake. We don't have to be like the world that says, man, I just hope this is going to happen. You know, or, or what they're really saying is, I don't know if this is going to happen, but I'd like it to. Biblical hope is completely different. Biblical hope is, I am confident in God. I know he is going to do what he says, even though I do not see it. I'm confident in his nature. I'm confident in the, the power that he has and his faithfulness. And so I continue going through my life even though I don't see what I'm believing God for. And so the first thing that we do is um, we have to decide to trust God for the same kind of things that our, uh, our spiritual forefathers believed God for. It says this in Romans chapter 15. Verse 4, for whatever was written in former days, that's the Bible, it's Old and New Testament for us. When, when it was written in Romans, they just had the Old Testament. But Romans 15 now is talking about Old and New Testament. So whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The things written in the Bible or to encourage us to have this hope that we hold on to. They're the very examples that are given to us through the people in the both Old and New Testament that demonstrates God's attitude toward us. Literally, uh, we, we, um, we look into the Bible and we see how God treated them, and we, we come to the conclusion that that is how God will treat us. Now, I'm not talking about the people in the Old Testament who, you know, if you read it, you don't really have to throw a stone before you find that God is pouring out his judgment. But he's only pouring out his judgment on the people who are disobeying him. And even then, we find that God is patient and loving, and he gives them hundreds of years to turn away from the the nonsense that they're doing. And so we find in the Old Testament that those who have faith in God those that trust God, those that love God and follow his word in our lives. God is faithful. God is an ever-present help in times 
of trouble. God is our warrior. He is the one that fights the battle for us. We find all those things in the way that he dealt with the people in the Old and New Testament. We see that God's a warrior because of David. David is this mighty man who's leading the armies of God, and yet time after time, it says that David went before God to find an answer for what he was going through. And what did God do? Most of the time, he either gave them the battle strategy or he actually stepped in, routed the armies himself. Now, we don't have to face any physical armies, probably. You know, um, who knows what's going to happen you know, with Ukraine and all that nonsense. But usually we don't have to deal with that stuff. But we, what we do have to deal with is spiritual nonsense that comes into our lives. And God is still called the God of hosts or the God of angel armies. And it takes a warrior to step into our lives to deliver us from a very real enemy. We find out that through the life of Abraham, that if we will trust God, who leads us even when we don't know where we're going, that ultimately, at the end of our life, we'll be in the very place that God has desired us or destined us to be. We find out through the, the story of Noah that if we'll trust God, regardless of what anybody else thinks, regardless of the opinions of man, whether it be your coworkers, your boss, your, your siblings, or anybody else in your life, when you trust God, the very thing that he's placed on your heart, he is the one that protects you and preserves you. And after everything's said and done, everybody else is drowning, but you're standing on the rock that is higher above than, any, higher above than anything else. And so, we look to the scriptures to find a place to use our hope. We look to the word of God to discover exactly the promises that God has given us so that we might experience him and the kingdom of God in a greater degree. I'm going to pause from my message in, uh, for a second. If you don't know what the word of God says, if you don't know what the promises of God are, or if you, you haven't read the Old Testament and you don't know the faithfulness of God to his people, well, you can't have hope in the God who's unshakable if you don't know about him. And so I am encouraging you that if you don't have a place where you can place your hope because you don't know what the scripture says, you don't know what the Bible says, that is the first place that you need to begin. I, I am going to give in a second a couple of the promises that God gives us, but this list is not exhaustive and it's not enough. You have to go into the scriptures yourself. You have to go in there and find out how God interacts with us. Amen. It's not enough to hear somebody on a Sunday or a Wednesday talk to you about God and tell you what he's like. It's like trying to have a relationship with your husband or wife based on what somebody else says. Like, yeah, Amy's dad always tells me how nice she is and how good she is with a baby. So, you know, I'm in love with her. No, I experience her because I know her. And so in the same kind of way, we cannot have a hope-filled relationship with God unless we actually discover him in the scriptures. It was God-breathed for our instruction, and it was God-breathed so that we could have encouragement and hope. And so with that being said, I, I won't beat you too much up for that. And so um, I do have some promises here. These are, like I said, not exhaustive. This is only a sliver. In fact, when I was researching this, um, there was like, 
I don't know, 5,000 or 7,000 different promises. And I guess I could have printed them all off for you, but we'd run out of paper real quick. And so, exactly, not enough room for, for all the pieces of paper. Anyway, this is what the promises of God are that you can grab a hold of right now. It says, first, God's promises, the things that he gives us, they never fail. Joshua 21, verse 45 says, Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every single one was fulfilled. God will make your path straight. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, not in some of your ways, not in the ways that you give him on Sundays, on all of your ways, Submit to him, and he will make your path straight. God is always with you. Joshua 1 verse 9. This is the command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God will give you wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5. If any one of you lacks wisdom, this means if you're about to go into a decision, make a place where you need to make a decision, if you are ever at a crossroads, if you ever, you know, have that feeling in your heart that, you know, you got to make a change, you need wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And, and uh, he will give you generously, or he will give generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. God will give you all that you have need of. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And my God will uh, meet all of your needs according to his riches, of his, uh, according to the riches of his glory that's in Christ Jesus. And my last one is God will work it all out. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I have personally used this in my life, and it has not failed yet. It says, Uh, And we know that God will cause everything, God will cause everything to work together for the good, for who? For those who love God and are called according to his purposes. For those that love God and are called according to his purposes, who are doing the things that God has placed on your heart, who, who are, you know, responding to God's very call, whether that be a mechanic a preacher, a doctor, or anything else, if you're doing what God has called you to do and you love God, the promise of the Bible is that God will work it out for good. And so, if you are facing discouragement or even hopelessness from a circumstance or situation that's in your life, the first thing that you need to do is you need to get into your Bible and you need to find a promise. The second thing that we do is uh, that we use patience while we wait for the very thing that God has promised. Just a side note, um, this does not look like taking matters into your own hands. This does not look like creating your own timetable and demanding that God sticks to it, because that does not work. Trust me, I tried. Um, This does not look like doubting the promises of God because it's taking a long time. Remember Abraham, who had to wait what, 20 or 30 years for his promise to come true? Or David, who was anointed king of Israel and had to wait 20 years until he was actually placed on the throne. And so 
Sometimes God's promises take a while. And so patience does look like trusting God and waiting for him to make a move. Psalms 37 verse 7 through 9 says, Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about the evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn away from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Patience looks like pressing forward towards a goal with endurance, not giving in because of circumstances and and how they've become difficult. Consider this example in uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 1. This is the one, the great cloud of witnesses I was talking about earlier. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded with such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily besets us. Or uh, another way to say that is it tangles our feet up when we're trying to run. It, It hinders us. Let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And so patience very much looks like waiting and being confident. I'm sorry, confident is the next one. Waiting and enduring. Waiting and enduring through difficulties. When you're believing God for something miraculous and it does not happen instantly, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. Right? We feel it on the inside that we have to, that, that, that we want it so badly, but it's not coming. And so we have to fight against discouragement that happens on the inside. We have to make a choice that it does not matter what I see or what I feel, I am going to hope in God with patience. The third thing that we have to do is we walk in confidence. The image that comes to my mind when I think of confidence is an expert who does not need to second-guess themselves. They've done what they're doing a hundred times, a thousand times, and so when they're faced with a problem or circumstance, they don't need to think about it. They kind of go into a default mode, and they they don't second-guess the things that are going on in their head. They don't second-guess themselves. And this is the same attitude that that we have to have. We have to believe in what we're uh, hoping for. And this confidence, then, is steadfastness. This confidence is steadfastness in our belief. It's an unwavering attitude that we must employ when uh, we're considering the very promises of God. And look, it's a choice. The the amazing thing about this Christian life, I I have discovered, um, it's, it's not necessarily new or anything like that, but we really do have to curb our feelings and make choices. Many times our feelings say, you know, I'm too tired to do this. Or, you know what, it's been a long time. I don't want to trust God for this anymore. And I would just want to do it myself. Many times our feelings say, you know what, God's lying to you. He's not going to take care of you. He's not going to be faithful to you. He did it for everybody else, but he's not going to do it for you. Many times our feelings lie to us. And so the way that we overcome feelings is by choosing. Our feelings should not direct us. I've I've heard it said plenty of times, I think even Pastor Poole has said it, feelings are terrible masters, but really good servants. And so when we allow feelings to rule our life, 
Then we're tossed to and fro. We're, we're pulled in a hundred different directions because my feelings can change instantly. Let's say, let's say I was having a terrible day. You know, I got in, I got in my truck and it, it, uh, the battery was dead. You know, all four tires were slashed. And, you know, let's say, I don't know, Elijah didn't sleep all, all night. And so I've been up since yesterday, right? Let's say I had a terrible day. And I decide, you know what, I'm going to buy one of those Powerball tickets. Because, you know, why not? It's two bucks. Um, and the numbers hit. You better believe that my feelings have changed. Right? If my feelings didn't change, there'd be an issue. And so the problem is feelings are so wishy-washy. You can feel amazing one second, get one bit of news, and your feelings are terrible, or vice versa. And so when we live our lives and feelings are the ones that's in the driver's seat, it's almost like our head will be spinning because of all the things that we feel. But when we make choices and we dictate to our body what to feel and, and what to give ourselves to, then we're not going to be tossed to and fro by the things that we feel inside of our bodies. And so this thing called hope is a choice. It's a choice that we have to make. And, and this choice... Um, does not look at the results to determine if God's promises will be fulfilled in our lives. This hope that we choose to have almost disregards the current circumstance in my life. Um, I've heard it was a story of a man named Smith Wigglesworth. He did amazing things for God. He believed God for some absolutely mind-blowing things. One of the things that I've heard uh, quite a bit, uh, you probably heard this story too, but he believed God for incredible things. He had hope in God who could even raise the dead back to life. And so God told him one day, I guess, um, there was a, uh, he went to a shoe store and there was a, no, there was a person who didn't have a foot, right? And Smith Wigglesworth believed that God was going to literally grow that person's foot out. And so God told, uh, Smith Wigglesworth tells this person, tells them, look, you got to go to a shoe store, pick out whatever shoe you would like to wear, and when they put the shoe on your stub, it'll grow out and to be whatever size that you want it to be. <laughs> and sure enough, it happens. This guy, he goes to the shoe store, he gets out his shoe that he likes, and a foot grows where there used to be a stub. And so the reason why I say this is because God does not look at our current circumstances to determine what's possible in our lives. God does not look, like our, uh, look at our current circumstances to determine what's possible in our lives. You have to look at the story of Lazarus to, to get solid in this. Like Lazarus was a friend of Jesus who had, been, who had passed away and he had been dead for four days. And Jesus goes to the tomb and Lazarus by then is kind of stinky, right? But all it took was one word of God and he came back to life and he came out of the tomb. And so if God can do that level of miracle, when, when the situation looked completely bleak, there was no hope, there was no reason for hope. If God can take a situation that had no reason for anybody to have any kind of hope or faith that God was going to do a miracle and then do a miracle, our circumstances don't look to be that large. And so I say all that because we cannot look at our circumstances and decide whether God is going to do what he has promised to do. We can't look at our bills and decide if God is going to be faithful with our finances. 
We can't look even in the the fridge and see the emptiness and decide if God is going to feed us and, and answer the promise that Jesus prayed when he said, give us our daily bread. And so we have to have this confidence that does not consider our circumstances to decide if God will be faithful. In fact, the confidence that we have is found firmly on the nature of God. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, 26. It says, For the Lord will be your confidence and will keep your foot from being caught. 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says, Not that we are sufficient in ourselves. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. But our sufficiency is from God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves, claiming that it's, you know, I did this great thing, and that's why everything worked out. Our sufficiency comes from God. And so, the point is this. We have our confidence, our complete and whole confidence, squarely on God. We cannot afford to take any of the confidence we have in our success in the future, on, uh, on our ability to you know, uh, have a house over, uh, roof over our head or food in our stomachs. All of this can't have a confidence that's built on the things that we do. But instead, we have to place our confidence on who God is and his promises to us. The benefit of that is it does not matter if you get fired from your job tomorrow or social security runs out or, you know, a war breaks out or, um, as in days of Elijah, you know, a global famine that, you know, uh, happens. If God, I'm sorry, if we were going through something, if we lose our job, a war breaks out, global famine, or any other bad thing that can happen to us, God can feed us with ravens. And so we don't look at our ability to provide. We look at God's ability to take care of us. We have to change our focus. We have to change the thing we build our life on. This, this is completely a tangent, but it's important. When, when we build our life upon our ability, God will shake our ability to show that it's not stable in our lives. But when we build our life on the, the solid foundation of God and his nature, it's unshakable. Jesus, when he teaches on this, he talks of two people. The first one builds a house on a foundation that's made of sand. The second man builds a, builds a house on a foundation that's sturdy, unshakable rock. And he says, Jesus teaching, he says, a storm comes and hits both houses. Which house stands? The one that's on the rock. The one that's on, built on sand, the one that built, is built on our ability to make something happen in our lives, comes crashing down. But the one that's built on the very word of God and the promises of God is sturdy because we're going to have difficulties in our life. We're going to have storms that rage inside of our lives. That's almost a guarantee. In fact, Jesus teaches, he says, it's bound that you're going to have troubles. We have to be ready by having a sure foundation. We have to be ready by putting all of our sufficiency, all of our future, everything we could imagine in our lives that could possibly be good, we have to build it on Christ. And so we have to have this confidence about the unshakable nature of God. And when we place our hope in him, it does not put us to shame. So 
With these three things of hope exposed, our definition of biblical hope can be updated. This, uh, this is how biblical hope could now be described. Biblical hope is actively expecting to see God's promises, or the promises of God, that we do not yet see. That first part's really important. It's actively expecting to see the promises of God that we do not yet see with trust and endurance and a confidence that comes from God's unchanging nature. And before I close tonight's message, just a few final words about this idea of hope. First of all, um, like I said, we will have obstacles and difficulties in our life. Hope is the thing that pushes us through those things. Hope is the thing that, that is the, uh, um, it's the anchor on our boat that causes us so we're not you know, tossed across uh, on, on the sea. Hope is the thing that, that ties us and allows us to weather the storms in our life. This hope, it enables us to persevere through all of life's challenges. And because of that perseverance, we will see God do something, uh, do whatever he has promised. Remember Paul when he says, hope does not put to shame. And so when we stand in that hope, when we have this confidence in God and his nature, we will see the goodness of God. We will see him pour out the miracle, the blessing on our lives. And remember this, remember that the devil cannot stop God's faithfulness. He can't do anything to stop God from providing or God doing a miracle in our lives. But what he does try to do is the devil tries to undermine our hope. His goal being that if you will just give up and you will uh, begin to doubt in God and his nature, then he is won a victory inside of your life. The devil is literally trying to make it so you don't trust God. So that the next time you're in a storm, you, you're shaken and you think to yourself, well, really... Can I really trust God with this? Can I really put my faith in God for this? And if God's not good enough to deal with this in my life that's temporary, how can I believe him you know, for my salvation that I can't even have until after I die? And so this is the thing that the devil is trying to do in your life. He is trying to shake you. He's trying to make you doubt God's nature. And if he can make you doubt God's nature, then maybe he can even doubt your salvation. And so since we're aware of the wiles of the devil, since we're aware of what he's doing, we cannot allow ourselves to live absent hope, absent from hope. We have to take a stance where we choose hope in our lives. We have to make a choice to have hope in our lives. And remember, hope is not simply just something that uh, we desire, you know, when we desire a specific outcome. Hope is literally a choice that we make to have uh, uh, confidence in God about his nature and his promises. And that confidence produces inside us endurance that sees us through until the day that we see God's goodness in the land of the living. Amen? Awesome. You do have homework, so make sure you get this done. There will be a quiz. And so the homework is this. I'd like you to look for an area inside of your life where you feel discouraged, hopeless, or defeated. And I want you to find a promise of God that speaks to that spot of weakness and be active about using hope to overcome the negative feelings that you're experiencing. When you do that, you might not see God pour out his miracle today, might not be tomorrow, 
Might not be a year from now, but it will come. Hope does not put a timeline on God's, uh, on God's promise. Hope says, I don't yet see it, but I will see it. Does that all make sense? Cool. Let me pray for you guys. We'll get you out of here. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I thank you for the word today. I thank you, God, for stirring our hearts to understand what hope looks like in our lives, what your biblical hope actually is. I thank you for all the good things that you've done and all the, the things that we can hope for, your promises that are found in the word and your provision in our lives. I pray blessing over everyone who hears my voice. I pray that you would come speedily in their situation, that you would work miracles across this place. And I thank you for the good testimony of what you're going to do. I praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, get on out of here. Remember, come back next. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.